Thank you. Good morning. Hey, I want to invite you to reach inside the bulletin. You can pull out the insert. On one side of it is the MPG, and that is our Memorize, Pray, and Glorify. And there are some ways that you can take the sermon down the road a little bit further, kind of like a, a car that gets good MPG, miles per gallon. We want to do the same thing with God's Word. And there's uh, something for you to memorize. There's something for you to pray this next week. And something for you to do from a practical standpoint to glorify God. And it all pertains to what we're going to be talking about this morning. On the front side of it is a sermon outline that you can use. Take some notes, fill in the blanks. Uh, maybe some things that you want to think about or pray about later this week. Please use it as you see fit. If uh, you don't know me, you're visiting. There are a lot of visitors here this morning, and we're really grateful that you're here. My name is Mark. I'm part of the ministry staff here at MacArthur Park. And on behalf of the staff and the, uh, the leadership, we want you to know how excited we are that you're here and how excited that you came to be a part of our church today because we're excited about what our church is doing in the community. And if you would like some more information on how you become a member of our church or how you can become a Christian or a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, you can meet me outside. There's actually a green wall that uh, is kind of brand new to us out in our foyer right now. I'll be standing out in front of it. I thought about calling it the Big Green Monster after Fenway Park, but I thought, you know, who wants to go meet their preacher at church in front of a big green monster. They didn't sound quite right. So it's a green wall. I'll be out there. Uh, if you see somebody that has a name tag, you can talk to them about it as well. But we want to we serve you, and we want you to know that you are a special guest. We'll do whatever uh, we need to do to answer whatever questions that you have. You can also send us an email. You can go online and do it as well. But we would love for you to be a part of what we're doing at MAC. Now, what we're doing right now is in the month of February is thinking about the Great Commission. And that is a passage that's found at the end of Matthew's Gospel, which is the first gospel in the Christian Scriptures, the very last chapter. In fact, it's the last couple of verses of that chapter. And this is where Jesus is talking to his disciples some 40 days after he is resurrected and 10 days before the church starts on Pentecost. And as he's getting ready to ascend to heaven... He calls his disciples together and he says, I want you to go into all of the world and I want you to make disciples. And this is how you're going to do it. You're going to baptize them and then you're going to teach them how to live in light of the kingdom of God. And one of the ways that that uh, becomes a part of our modern everyday life today is that, that that Great Commission becomes our mission. In fact, we might say the big idea for our sermon series on the Great Commission is we have a mission. Let's say that together. We have a mission. And the way that we get our minds around the bigness of the mission is this way. We're just continuing what Jesus began. We're just continuing what Jesus began. In fact, I'd ask you this question. Would it be fair to say that we live in a world right now that's desperate for people, the disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, to be faithful to that mission? I think the answer to that is yes. And, and it's not always an easy thing to do. Uh, back in 1980, I am a, a, a new Bible student. It's a, between my freshman and sophomore year at college. Uh, I'm a, a ministry student, I'm, I'm going to be a preacher, and I am zealous for the mission of God. In fact, I'm so zealous that, you know, I, I'm 
became a missionary for uh, six years, Ellen and I and our family down in Brazil. But at this period of time, I mean, I'm zealous. And as you know, zeal does not always translate into knowledge or wisdom. In fact, at that period of time, 19 years old, I mean, I don't even know what I don't know. I mean, at that point, you can write volumes on what I don't know. And so that summer, I'm with some friends. We go to Virginia Beach, Virginia for the day. And on the way back, we're starved, so we stop at a McDonald's. We're ordering, and I notice that there's this guy that looks like he's about my age. He's sitting at a table, and he's reading what looks like a Bible. Well, I decide, uh, it's interesting. Maybe I need to do a little reconnaissance. And so I pretend like I'm going to go get some ketchup for the french fries, and as I'm going by, I kind of look over my shoulder, and sure enough, he's reading the Bible, and not only that, he's reading the granddaddy of them all. He is reading Revelation. And I'm thinking to myself, this is my Acts 8 moment in life. Now, Acts chapter 8 is about a guy by the name of Philip that runs into a fellow by the uh, an Ethiopian who is reading from Isaiah. He asks a very simple question, do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian says, I, I don't unless there's somebody to explain, explain it to me. Long story short, Philip explains, leads to Jesus, converts the Ethiopian, and uh, the church now has somebody in Ethiopia who believes in Christ. I'm thinking, this is my moment in Virginia Beach. And so I walk up. I don't say, hey, my name is Mark Absher. I don't say, hello. I don't say, how are you doing? I just walk up to this total stranger, and I sit down in front of him. He looks up from the Bible, and I say, do you understand what you're reading? Now, the expected response is, not unless somebody explains it to me. And then, you know, I just, and then we're on. The reality is, he looked at me, he goes, uh, yup, and went back to reading. Well, I gave him two seconds to reconsider. He didn't know who was sitting in front of him. And he doesn't say anything, so I, you know, like a dope, I get up and I walk back to my table and they ask me how it went. I said, well, you know, I guess he just didn't know what Revelation was all about. You know, but, you know, it dawned on me that it seemed like in the beginning years of my ministry that my job description could be defined this way. My job was to convince people they were wrong and I was right. They're wrong and I'm right. Now, in any situation, does that ever work as a, as a great way to communicate? Husbands and wives. Husband says to a wife, I'm right, you're wrong. Does that work? Never. A wife to a husband. You say that to your boss, to your employer. It never works. And, and that probably explains during the early years of my ministry why sharing the faith became shouting the faith at each other. And I think a lot of, a lot of the time we forget that God's grace is not supposed to turn friends into enemies, but turn enemies into brothers and and sisters. This is why Jesus himself taught us, love your neighbor and love those who, who persecute you. And that's Matthew chapter 5. In Luke chapter 6, what does he say? Do good to those who hate you. In Romans chapter 5, Paul kind of picks up on all of this and he says, do you not remember that we were at one time enemies to God? And that God was able to reconcile, reconcile us to him through Jesus of Nazareth. We are now his children. And then when he starts talking about the practical ways that we live together as Christians, he says, live in harmony, live at peace with one another. 
That is how we're supposed to live. That's how we're supposed to be as disciples of Jesus. Think about our mission statement. It's up here on the screen, the three dots. Say it with me. Love God, love people, change the world. Let's say it again. Love God, love people, change the world. Do you know what's implied in that mission statement? That everything we do to change the world involves loving God and loving people. Everything. Everything we do. Every conversation we have, every ministry that we have as a church, everything we do when we think nobody is watching involves loving God and loving people in order to make a, a, a gospel difference in the world. Now, that brings up a really important question. And the question is this. How can you change? How can we? How can I? How can we change the world if we're having a hard time changing ourselves i mean how can i change the world how, how can i be a part of changing the world when i can't even change myself and the answer to that is you can't you cannot change yourself or you would have i can't change myself or i would have already have done it we believe that this fact about humans, that we cannot change ourselves under our own steam, our own, our own power, our own, our own uh, wisdom, we believe that one fact about humans is the principal reason that God puts the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells in disciples of Jesus. God the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, is changing Christians day by day, degree by degree, into a person that looks and acts and talks and has affections and a value system and a worldview, the character, in other words, of Jesus. This is why at your baptism you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember in Acts chapter 2, it's Pentecost, the church is beginning, and people want to know, how do I become a disciple of Jesus? And Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, you need to repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the, the what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does a lot of things. But the Holy Spirit does indeed come into your life as a power for change and transformation, inch by inch, second by second. That's what we looked at last week. That inch by inch, second by second, degree by degree, day by day, the Holy Spirit is a power that is helping you to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, into the human being you were always meant to be. In fact, Paul would say it this way, that when you're walking with the Spirit, that there are parts of your life that just blossom that can only be explained as the product of the Spirit in your life. And in Galatians chapter 5, he says, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, or patience or forbearance, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. In other words, the Spirit is a power that comes into your life that helps you to change and to be transformed into the character of Jesus. But... That's not the only thing that the Spirit does. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is also at work in the world at large. In all of creation, the Spirit is at work helping people to come 
to faith. Jesus, as he's getting ready to go to the cross, is is trying to prepare his disciples for what life is going to be like after the death, burial, and resurrection. And he gives them a piece of insider information about this helper, this advocate that's going to come. In other words, the spirit of God that's going to come as a helper. And he says in verses uh, 7 and 8 of John 16, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's the Spirit. And he, that is the Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, the Spirit is in the world helping to convict people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So whether you're a disciple of Jesus or not a disciple of Jesus, that God, God the Spirit is working in you or on you. Now it's God that ultimately changes people. But He calls us to join Him and to partner with Him and to team with Him in His human project. And again, this is one of the reasons why he taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy will, that is God's will, be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now out of this, I think there are two convictions in going forward to help us to understand, and not just understand, but to live out the ramifications of the Great Commission, of going into the world and making changes uh, that represent the goodness and the love and the blessing and the grace of God by baptizing people and, and helping them to form into disciples of Jesus. The first is this, conviction number one, God is always at work in the world. God is always at work in the world. You know, that was kind of the problem back there in 1980 when I'm in that McDonald's. I thought it was my job, it was all on me, that I didn't have any help, it was all on me to convince him that he was wrong and that I was right. My conviction now is that God is always at work in the world. We, we do not take God anywhere because he is already there. Does that not make sense? God is at work in the lives of others a long time before we show up, before we speak, whether it's at a Starbucks or a McDonald's or in the lunchroom or the locker room or the boardroom or the back room or wherever it may be, before we ever speak, God is already speaking through His Spirit into the heart of that person. Before we act, whether it's in the locker room or the back room or the boardroom or wherever it may be, God is already acting in that person's life. We are only continuing what Jesus started and what God has been doing since the beginning of creation. You know, this is exactly the way that God is described by Jesus in John chapter 5. In talking about God and about His own mission, He says in John chapter 5 verse 17, My Father is always at work. God is always at work to this very day. And I too am working, he says. I mean, that should be such an incredible piece of encouragement for us to know that in this audacious, bold task of, of, of living, not just living out the ramifications of, of the gospel, but taking the message, the words of the gospel and blessing other people, that God is already at work, at work in people's lives. 
How great is the news that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything in between, is at work in people's lives and in their situations. You know, there are times when we look at people in their situations and we go, you know what? Dead in the water. No chance. Dead in the water. Too far gone, too far out to sea, too far adrift, too addicted, to whatever. And, and we may not say that out loud because in a, 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 you know, it's not Christian politically correct to say that, but we all have it in our heart until we realize that God is at work in the world. God is at work in the hearts and in the lives and the relationships and the situations, the circumstances. In everything that is human, God is at work through His Spirit. And this is why Paul asked the church in Colossae to pray to God and this is the passage that Jacob read just a couple of minutes ago, that, that God may open a door for our message. That God would just, you know, open a door in order for there to be the opportunity for the message to have its, it, it, its range of impact on a human soul. And because God is always present... His people should be present too at all times. Wherever you go in the day, you're present, the kingdom of God. Which leads us to the second conviction. The first conviction, God's always at work in His creation. The second is that God works in the world through human beings. God works through human beings. Throughout the pages of the Bible, God is always looking for someone, for a someone to, to, to partner. To, he's looking for a someone to team with, to participate with in the mission, His mission of filling the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the earth, cover the seas. God calls us to be a part of that mission and the technical term for that in the Bible is ambassador. An ambassador. Paul is trying to help the church in Corinth that is so jammed up in their understanding of what life in the kingdom of God is all about that he, he actually has to write multiple letters to them. And what we call the second letter, the fifth chapter, he refers to the Christians in Corinth and this great gift of salvation that they have received, the salvation that has come into their life, that has blessed them with forgiveness and has blessed them with, with uh, a joy and with peace and with direction and all these different kinds of things. He helps him to understand that that's, they're not a cul-de-sac, they're not a dead end when it comes to that blessing, that they're, abs they're actually representing God's kingdom in the world. And that's what makes them ambassadors. And so he says... God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's what? As though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So one conviction is, is that God is always at work. The Spirit of God is always at work in the world helping that door to open up, convicting people of, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the second convic conviction is that God has chosen in His wisdom for us to be a part of that as well. An ambassador, which we are, is someone who works with a king or president, or in our case, God Himself, 
by representing the values and the goals and the methods, the ideals and the principles of that kingdom to those who do not yet know the king or the president, or in our case, God himself. Typically, we think of ambassadors as people who have achieved some, some pretty impressive things in their life. They, they have uh, distinguished themselves through achievement. And this is what has led to their being appointed ambassadors. Ironically, the opposite is, is true in the kingdom of God. Ironically, God's ambassadors are highly flawed people like you and me. When Jesus starts his church in Acts chapter 2, he, he does it with the very men that abandoned him at the crucifixion. Jesus is going to start the church, inaugurate the church, the church in a world where there's no church, gospel is yet to be preached, chooses to do it with the men who abandoned him in the moment he most needed them. These are the ones that he says, I want you to go out into all the world. I want you to make disciples, baptizing and teaching. And don't forget this, you're not doing it alone. I'm going to be with you until the very end of the age. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect to be able to talk about what God has done in your life. Uh, you know, after, after 40 years of academic and professional study of God's Word, I don't consider myself a scholar really in any area except one. And in that one area, I am the foremost scholar. And that is in the area of what God has done in the life of Mark Absher. And the same is true for you. You don't have to be perfect or even have your act together to be a part of God's mission. Think about Noah. So Noah is going to be you know, the last righteous man. He and his family in the ark after 40 days. He's out of the ark. They're going to reboot humanity. What's one of the first things that Noah does? Noah gets drunk. Abraham is a liar. He lied about his wife, not on one occasion, as if he was going to learn the lesson then, but he lied twice about his wife. Sarah laughed at God. Jacob was a cheat. Moses was a murderer. Samson was always more brawn than he was brain. David had an affair and was humiliated by Bathsheba Gate. Jonah ran from God. Solomon was rich. Mary was poor. Elijah was burned out. Peter was a grown man and a fisherman and a man's man, but he was afraid of a little girl. John was a ladder climber. Thomas doubted. Paul was a murderer. And even in Numbers chapter 22, in one of the first books of the Bible, God uses a donkey, a talking donkey, to get his message out. The point is not that you have to be perfect or great or famous or rich or affluent or super intelligent or some kind of savant. The point is this, that God is willing to use who you are, what you are, where you are right now. God is willing to use who you are. And the most important thing about you 
is what God is doing in your life. And it doesn't matter what you are, as long as what is being seen is, I am a person who has committed their life to living as a disciple of Jesus. And it doesn't matter where you are, God is there before you. God is willing to use who you are, what you are, where you are right now. The question is, will we join Him? We said at the very beginning of this message that we have a message, and we do. The question is whether or not we're going to join Him.